Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello, and welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name is Caitlin Durante, and I was like, we can't do a silly intro for this because this movie's too sad. No. So I just went into the normal thing. Well, I was going to say... Caitlin, get in front of me. Sally Field, punch Caitlin in the face. You'll feel better. This is your one opportunity to punch a host of the Bechtel cast. (laughs) (laughs) Will that not cure your incurable grief? Mm. Give it a try. And then we all start laughing. (laughs) I would let Sally Field punch me in the face. 1,000%. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a really dope. If your friend's going through it in a way that... It's impossible to truly offer comfort. I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind to be like, I know you're going through a difficult time and nothing I can say will really help. But if you would like to punch me in the face, (laughs) I would understand. Maybe it would help. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the Bechdel I'll offer that sometimes. Please. Yeah. I'm sure it would be cathartic if you punch me in the face. I don't know. I don't know. We'll never know. I don't know. We'll we'll find out maybe someday. My name's Jamie Loftus. I'm the, I'm the other host of the Bechtel cast, uh, the one that just made it sound like I have a kink about getting punched in the face. And hey, ain't <laughs> Which I don't, wrong with but that. no shame if you do. Uh, <laughs> well, cool opening. This is the Bechtel cast. <laughs> really uh, pro-kink beginning. This is our first episode with a new addition to the Bechtel cast family. Little mm-hmm. kitten Casper is sitting behind me right now, and I have to remember not to lean back or I'll kill him. He's so small. Bechtel cast, more like Bechtel Casper, more like Bechtel cats. Exactly. Now we have the Bechtel cats. Flea's mm-hmm. in the other room. Flea's really having a series of come to Jesus moments about the new guy. He kind of keeps staring into the distance, contemplating about how he used to be the center of my world. And Mm -hmm. now things are exactly the same. He just doesn't realize it yet. (laughs) Well, talking about my two boy cats, great example of something that would not pass the Bechtel 
test, except spiritually, in which it does. Well, I mean, cats don't have gender. So I feel like sure. talking about cats does pass the Bechdel test. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. But uh, we, we use, <laughs> this is a really amazing opening today. Uh, we use the Bechdel test as a jumping off point for discussion in a larger intersectional feminist analysis of your favorite movies in the world. But Caitlin, what the hell is the Bechdel mm-hmm. test? Tell us. It is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechdel, sometimes called the Bechdel-Wallace test. It first appeared as a kind of one-off bit in her comic Dykes to Watch Out For in the 80s examining how women hardly ever talk to each other in movies and there's very little representation of queer women was the origins of the test. It has since been used more widely and there are many versions of it. Our version is do two people of a marginalized gender with names speak to each other about something other than a man And we especially like it when it's a narratively substantial conversation and not just like throwaway dialogue. Which we will find there's no issues with today's movie, at least in that department. Although there's plenty of stuff to talk about. We're finally doing an episode on Steel Magnolias. Before we bring our guest in, I just wanted to shout out, because people have asked us like, where is, it seems like a glaring whole woman-centric movie. We did record an episode over two years ago on mm-hmm. this movie with iconic guest Aaron Haynes. Shout out Aaron Haynes. The audio corrupted. The podcast God said no. Podcast Zeus sent a lightning bolt. And we said, <laughs> well, fine. We'll just have to wait. And when we know, we know. Mm-hmm. And now we know because we have an incredible guest. And we have a lot of thoughts that we've been sitting on for years at this point about Steel Magnolias. It is very true. And our guest is an actress. You've seen her on Netflix's Dear White People. She's the host of the podcast Trials to Triumphs on the Oprah Winfrey Network. And you remember her on our episode on Misery. It's Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins. Welcome back. Hi. Thank you. I have like a raspy, deep tone to my voice these days. Ooh. I don't know what's happening, but I've been getting a lot of compliments on it, honestly. I love okay. it. Okay. I, I, it's wonderful. <laughs> but it's not my normal voice. So people that do know my voice are probably like, oh, is that Ashley? <laughs> it's me, everybody. It's me. <laughs> not an imposter. <laughs> the strike has changed us all. The strike changed <laughs> my voice, actually. Yes, that's what's happened. I'm so fatigued from the strike that my voice has been altered. Let's go with that. I feel it. Mm -hmm. Well, welcome back. We're so excited to have you. And we're really excited to be covering this movie. I guess I needed two years to think more about it because I had a very different viewing experience this time. But Ashley, to start, what is your history with this movie? What's your connection to it? Okay, so I was born in December of 1987. So this movie came out in 1989, Mm -hmm. you know, so I was really young, but I have a sister who's nine years older than me. My house was really my mom, me, my mom, my sister, and my dad. And I come from a small family, but it's mostly women. So I grew up watching a lot of women-centered films and shows and, you know, Lifetime was always on. We were watching Lifetime movies. Like I have such fond memories of like, sitting in between my mom's legs, she's braiding my hair, we're watching something on Lifetime. Mm -hmm. But 
because I have a sister who's almost a decade older than me and my mom, they always were showing me movies that they had watched, obviously. You know what I mean? Like, but I was too young to watch and they were so excited to show them to me as I grew up. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, I grew up on Still Magnolias. Like I, if I look back, it was probably a movie that was playing when I was really young and like not able to understand what it was. But then it was a movie I watched many times over my lifetime. And when I think of the movie, I think of my mom and I think of my sister and my Nana and us watching it together and crying every time. And, Mm. you know, I think of me too as a young kid who wanted to be an actor. And it also was a movie, uh, although there wasn't anybody that looked like me in the movie necessarily, it was definitely a movie where I thought, even at a young age, this is the type of movie I would want to be in though, mm-hmm. where it's about love and it's about family and it's about togetherness and it's about tragedy and it's about healing and, you know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a movie that I was really drawn to and the performances are just so good. So when I think about my history oh. with this movie, I think about being deeply inspired by just like the actors in the movie, like no one missed. Everyone was knocking it out of the park. (laughs) And as a young woman who always wanted to act, it's a movie that's always been on my list as one that's like, nobody can say anything bad about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, God, this cast is acting. (laughs) Holy shit. It's so, I was surprised that no one in this cast won an Oscar. Wild. In my mind, Sally Field won an Oscar for this, and then I double-checked it, and she did not. Ridiculous. Oh, was this not the, you like me, you really like me? No, speech. I think that that was like, wait, what was that for? What yeah, was that what for? Wait, icon- what is that? I'm confused. Oh, she has like an iconic Oscars speech in which she says, Caitlin, do it <laughs> She's just like, you like me, you really like me. Yeah. Oh, I got it. Oh, that was for Norma Ray, which we all oh. another popular request oh. we haven't covered. I still haven't mm. seen Norma Ray. Me I either. haven't either. And I'm obsessed with Sally Fields, so now I need to see it. Mm. She's awesome. And she's oh my god, she kills it in this movie. Yeah. That's oh, that's so sweet that you have such a strong connection to this. Yeah. That's so cool. Like I truly grew up on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Jamie, what about you? What's your relationship with it? I did not have an extensive relationship with this movie until we first watched it a couple of years ago. And mm. I have returned to it. It has become kind of like a comfort movie because it's usually streaming somewhere. I think I've watched it. I watched it once with my mom over the summer because she hadn't seen it. And then I watched it again to prepare. And I also watched the 2012 Queen Latifah version mm-hmm. of the of, of Steel Magnolias. Also liked that one. Mm. And there's so much to talk about with this movie, but I, I really enjoyed it. I think that it's obviously rare to get, especially a story written by a man that is so generous to showing such a wide variety of like types of women, so many different personalities. Obviously Mm -hmm. this movie is far from diverse in spite of where it takes place, which is nuts, Uh but a wide, you know, variety of, ages, classes, just more than you're conditioned to expect from a movie that came out in 1989. And I find this movie very comforting. This movie is like soup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's kind Warm of... Warm chicken noodle soup. Yeah, yeah, you're like, I know what happens. I know Julia Roberts. Well, spoiler alert, she's not going to make it. I've seen this movie three times and she never makes it. <laughs> she does not. 
But what I got out of this viewing experience that was a little different was I just learned more about the context of why this movie exists. And it was based on a play by Robert Harling, who also wrote this screenplay. And it's about his sister. Like his sister is the Julia Roberts character. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we could talk a little bit about that and sort of this journey in which like a total non-writer wrote this really famous movie. Mm. Yeah, Caitlin, what's your history with Still Magnolias? I had seen it once before in college, just because, again, I was making a point to see notable movies. Didn't really matter what genre or what era. I was just like, this is a movie that people have talked about. It's on lists of notable movies. So I've got to see it. The Eternal Student. Oh, my gosh. I'm such a (laughs) student of Flynn. Yeah. (laughs) And I will say it's not exactly my type of movie, slice of life, real world dramas. You hate women also. I hate women famously. Yeah. (laughs) And their stories. And I just don't want to see them. I don't. When Caitlin sees a woman having an arc, they're like, (laughs) enough. I'm like, boo, where are the explosions? Um, And that's actually kind of sadly true. But, you know, my tastes are my tastes and I cannot even help it. But I appreciate this movie for what it is. And as a stoic, I'm always like, a movie is probably not going to make me cry. And every time I watch this movie, I cry so many times. It's just so heart wrenching. It's like genetically engineered to make you cry. There's no, like, you are made of stone. It felt like it was basically You're made of steel. It's true. (laughs) You don't cry. But everyone, maybe Weezer doesn't cry, but almost everybody cries. I think Weezer's got tears in her eyes. Uh, I mean, she's she's crying. She's made of steel, but she's not made of stone. Yeah. (laughs) This movie is too much. I just, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. Let's take a quick break and then let's come back and do the recap. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Okay, so here's the recap. So I'm going to focus on the main storyline, which is Julia Roberts' character's story. But each of the main characters have little subplots that I'll pretty much just like gloss over in the recap, figuring that we will talk about them in a lot more detail in the discussion. Gotcha. So we are in a small town in Louisiana. The movie begins on the wedding day of Shelby Eatonton. That's Julia Roberts. She and her mom, Malin, played by Sally Field, are scrambling around preparing for the wedding. Shelby's dad, Drum, played by Tom Skerritt, is trying to scare birds out of a tree by shooting a gun at them. Sure. <laughs> sure. We are also following Anel, played by Daryl Hannah, who goes to a salon owned by Truvy, that's Dolly Parton, and Truvy gives Anel a job in the salon as a glamour technician. But there's also like discussion about like, mm, Anel seems to have a past. Anel and Truvy are the best characters. To me. Mm. To me. Ooh, okay. I want to hear about They're that. They're my yeah. favorite. Okay. <laughs> okay, so then we also meet Shelby's groom-to-be, Jackson, played by Dylan McDermott who, by the way, we meet because he sneaks into Shelby's room and bathroom while she's in the middle of a bath right. without knocking on the door or anything. And it's 1989, so we're like, aw, romantic. <laughs> Home intrusion by my one true love. Yeah, and not like, oh, invasion of privacy is so sweet. <laughs> okay, we also meet Weezer, uh, played by Shirley MacLaine, the grumpy neighbor of the Eatonton family, as well as Clary, played by Olympia Dukakis. She is recently widowed, and it seems like Weezer and Clary are like best buds, but also kind of frenemies, but BFFs. Also kind of queer-coded. Mm. There's a few moments with Weezer and Clary where I'm like, hmm. Mm. Maybe it's just me, but I would like for them to kiss. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I never thought that. <laughs> I maybe I'm just bringing my <laughs> perverted little. But I there are a few moments where I was just like, mm, maybe it was mm. just forbidden at the time. But clearly, they belong together because mm. they treat each other like it's a schoolyard crush. 
They do. Looking mm, back, true. yes, they do. Yeah. So mm. I'm for it. The layers. There's so many, so many layers. It's like an onion, such yes. as feminist Shrek. scholar Shrek. <laughs> okay, so Shelby and Malin go to get their hair done at Truvy's salon, during which Shelby has a medical emergency. It turns out that she has diabetes. They give her juice, and we just get kind of more information about her condition. And she recently received news that having children isn't possible due to her condition. Shelby had been having second thoughts about marrying Jackson because she's afraid she would be denying him the chance to have children. But she and Jackson go through with the wedding, and we see the reception at the Eatonton house. Everyone's The iconic armadillo cake with Mm -hmm. gray frosting, Mm -hmm. great Mm -hmm. wine. (laughs) Then we cut to Christmas time where Shelby reveals to her mom that she's pregnant, a.k.a. pregnant. And she does. She has a little Greg. And she has a little Greg soon. But Malin is not happy about this pregnancy announcement because, sorry, pregnancy announcement because Shelby carrying a baby is very dangerous to her health. But Shelby really wants to have a child of her own. Mm -hmm. And the other women also learn about the pregnancy and they realize it's not necessarily happy news because of this risk associated with it. We cut to a year later after the baby, the Greg, if you will. Yes. Jackson Jr. has been born. La petite Greg. (laughs) Yep. They celebrate his first birthday. Then Shelby and Malin return to Truvy's salon. A lot of scenes take place there. Mm -hmm. Shelby gets her hair cut very short, making her the baldest woman in charge yes you know and for newer (laughs) listeners to the show the baldest woman in charge rule real old holdover from the show in which in movies very often the woman with the shortest haircut has the most narrative power why is this Mm -hmm. we don't know but it's something we've it why is leonardo dicaprio fully submerged in water in his clothes in so many movies we don't know Mm -hmm. It's just something that you see happening and you have to speak up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you have to maybe make a letterboxed list about it. I mean, I'm going to make a letterboxed list. (laughs) (laughs) I want to make one for the Bechdel cast. By the way, I don't know if people know that we're on letterboxed, but we are. So you should follow us and I'll make a list of all the movies in which Leonardo DiCaprio is fully submerged in water wearing his clothes. Because it's so many. I haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet, but I would say it's obviously a safe bet that he will be fully submerged in all his clothes. Never topless, always in the Mm -hmm. clothes. Yep. Let's continue. (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) So they're at the salon, and as Shelby is getting a manicure, Truvy notices some severe bruising on Shelby's arms. Turns out it's from dialysis, because having a baby put a lot of strain on her kidneys, and she is in need of a kidney transplant. And her mother, Malin, is donating one of her kidneys to Shelby. Malin, truly mother of the century. Yeah. Yeah. That Malin. And the surgery is the following day. And everyone gathers at the hospital. They're nervous. But the surgery goes well. And everything seems all right at first. 
Some time passes, and one day Shelby is at home taking care of Jackson Jr., and she collapses. We cut to the hospital. Her body is rejecting the kidney transplant, and she is in a coma. Malin stays with Shelby day and night, trying to get her to wake up from the coma. More time passes. She isn't waking up. She doesn't show any signs of ever waking up. So they make the decision to take her off life support and she dies. We see the funeral. We get the iconic monologue from Sally Field. She's just so mad. She wants to hit something hard. This is when Clary is like, hit Weezer, punch her in the face. And they all end up laughing about it because that they scene just... makes me cry uh-huh. like a fucking baby. I mean, th- <laughs> like, obviously, Shelby dying makes me cry, but the funeral scene, ooh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. It really is. So this kind of moment of levity, they're all laughing about it. And the movie ends with everyone accepting that life goes on. And then Anel, who has a pregnancy of her own, by the way, mm-hmm. she goes into labor and everyone rushes to the hospital. The mm-hmm. end. Yeah. It always kind of cracks me up. I think we maybe talked about this the first time we discussed this movie. The last shot of this movie is so bizarre to me because you see like all of the women that we've gotten to know and love and we're like, this is so cool. And then you see like Anel's husband and I think one of Shelby's brothers and he's wearing a bunny suit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And they're on a motorcycle and that's the last shot. You're like, what? I mean, it mm. makes sense that he's coming, but I don't know this yeah. man. Classic. We have to end this movie right. about all these women with a man that we don't know. <laughs> right. Classic. And a, and a like menacing looking rabbit suit. I was like, what is this? It's weird. What am I looking at? Anyways, weird last shot. But yes, yes so, so, so much to talk about. Yes. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and we will come back to discuss. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. 
join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. Uh, before we, we get into the nitty gritty here, I do want to know, who are your faves? Mm. I would say because there's so many women in this story who kind of come in pairs, because you've got mm-hmm. Malin and Shelby, mm-hmm. you've got Weezer and Clary, you've got Anel and Truvy. Who's your favorite pair of gals? I'm team Truvy and Anel. I really like their yeah. relationship. Why do you love their relationship? I love it because I just like a mentorship story that isn't necessarily a mother-daughter story. And I really like Anel's story of, you know, coming from an impossible circumstance. She's like ashamed of her own poverty. She's ashamed of having been in an abusive relationship and then meets Dolly Parton, who (laughs) is like, here's a solution to your problems. Just be more like Dolly Parton. And it changes Anel's life. (laughs) And she Mm -hmm. just becomes baby Dolly Parton. And I love that. I love their relationship. I sort of wish, like, if I could have my way, I would have Anel remain Dolly Parton and not, you know, be like, I want to be a mother and a housewife. But I really like Anel in act two of this movie so good where Mm -hmm. she's she's like i have a boyfriend i don't even know if i like him my hair looks great i'm happy i just i love anel and i love how good Mm. trivia is it's a good transformation she has a good like through line in the story i think it's really good i think my favorite i do love a mother daughter Mm-hmm. It just gets me every time. So, you know, Shelby and Malin, and in a lot of ways, they are the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, yeah. it's their love, their relationship, their commitment to one another that is like really just beautiful to me. And then I think like a close second is honestly like Clary and Weezer. And it's because like, this is a big cast, but you need characters like that. Like you need the juxtaposition of characters like that in a cast. And I think they're so mm-hmm. well done. Like it's like done to perfection for me. 
So they're a close second, but yeah, Malin and Shelby are just, it's just beautiful watching this mother. It's weird because it's like you're watching her, you're watching a mother allow what she thinks is almost like allow her daughter to make decisions for herself, even though she's a grown woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you also see the mother intuition of her like instinctively knowing like, this isn't going to be good. Like you can see that she knows like, it's not going to end up well. And you can also see, I think, that Shelby knows it's not going to end up well. But they both are committed to, like, loving each other and just hoping that maybe there's an outcome that isn't worst-case scenario. Mm-hmm. It ends up being that, but also just the blessing of, you know, Shelby still having her son. And, like, it's the lesson of, like, she wanted more life with her son, but she also got to experience it. And maybe that was enough for her. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like maybe that was okay. And sometimes that happens. And I think it's the people that are left behind that are grieving the most. Mm -hmm. But for Shelby, I thought maybe she was like, I'm just grateful that I had the opportunity. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so, well, first, Caitlin, who's your favorite pair? (laughs) Oh, and I'm not just saying this to be like, to say a different answer from everyone else, but I'm I'm Weezer and Clary all the day. I love that we all have a different pair. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Weezer's my gal. I want to be exactly like Weezer when I get older. And yeah, I just, I love that friendship too. Uh, (laughs) I love this scene where Clary is like, Anne Boleyn had six fingers on one hand. I'm telling you this to make you more cultured and broaden your horizons. (laughs) And then (laughs) Weezer's just like, I don't give a shit about that. I hate plays and movies Mm -hmm. and blah 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 so Uh, i mean and just so 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 well played to like i love shirley mcclain so much Mm -hmm. what a legend truly okay so let's go back to malin and shelby for Mm -hmm. a second because i i agree that they are like as close to protagonists as this movie can get because yeah the mm-hmm. you know main beats of the story go around Shelby's life and death, basically. Yes. So what I didn't know, and I think that we didn't talk about this very extensively the first time we discussed this movie, is, you know, I think that if viewed out of context, there appeared to be some kind of tropey things at play here where I always feel like hyper attuned to like motherhood is the most important thing that anyone with a uterus can do and blah, blah, blah. And like, I think that that's true. But when I learned more about the context of why this movie exists in the first place, it's all very based in the author's life and the author's sister, Susan. Mm -hmm. So there is a as close as this movie has to an oral history in a magazine called Garden and Gun, question mark. I saw that. And as soon as you saw the like, title, oh, I was like, I don't want to read this. And I yeah, just well, didn't. <laughs> unfortunately, the article is quite good. Mm. I, I think it is uh, like a, a Southern magazine. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they would write about <laughs> Steel Magnolias. It's a very Southern movie. Either way, uh, it was put together by a writer named Julia Reed in 2017. There's interviews with Shirley MacLaine, as well as Margot Martindale, who is the original Malin oh, yeah. in the play. Love Margot. Also, wow. Didn't know that back. Character director Margot Martindale. Yep. <laughs> so only heavy hitters can participate in anything that has to do with Still Magnolias. Right. So apparently. it's primarily the writer Robert Harling, Margot Martindale, who played Malin off-Broadway, 
and Shirley MacLaine are the three main sources for this story. But it's uh, a lot of Robert Harling talking about how his sister was a type one diabetic who really wanted to have a baby and died very young. Like her story lines up pretty closely with Shelby's and he was an actor. He was living in New York. He was from the South. He was queer. Like he had all these separate struggles with his family because he's a boomer, you know, then lost his sister really young, who was always so supportive towards him. And so he wanted to, even though he wasn't a writer, wanted to memorialize her in some way. And so wrote a play version of this which makes once you know this movie was originally a play it totally makes sense because the set pieces are so like the parlor the wedding the funeral like there's things the hospital but he originally wrote it off broadway um and was afraid to tell his family because he was afraid that they would find it disrespectful and so I have a quote from him here speaking to that where he first showed his mom the script. It's so sad. Uh, he's mm. like, you don't have to read it. It's about you and Susan and the whole thing. But she's a steel magnolia. She was going to read it. I gave her the script and I'd walk past and she'd be sobbing and I felt terrible. Afterward, I said, mom, we'll just kill it. I can't put you through this. And she said, it's wonderful because it's true. She just closed it and that was it. End of topic. And they saw the show. They were very supportive of it. The show was very successful. And then it was turned into this gigantic movie. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the only other things I think that are notable about the production, other than it being based on a true story, is that the director of this movie was uh, a nasty man. He was mean and Shirley MacLaine yelled at him. But yes, the the director, Herbert Ross, who also, I mean, directed a bunch of, famous movies and I guess was a shitty person and was cruel to Julia Roberts and Dolly Parton. Like what kind of person must you be? But Shirley MacLaine got wind of it. And she said, then one day I basically told him to go fuck himself and everybody heard it and things got better after that. So (sighs) Shirley MacLaine just simply not fucking around never has been someone had to say it apparently <laughs> and it would make sense that it was her it looked literally if someone was like guess who in the cast said that i would be like <laughs> right. shirley mcclain like duh mm-hmm. give me the million dollars easily yeah <laughs> so those are the sort of main production beats but i think that it was sort of helped me work through my feelings on shelby's character and her relationship with malin knowing how close it was to the author yeah Yeah, I'll add to that just a little bit by sharing some kind of like quotes and paraphrasing of what Robert Harling has said. I'm pulling from a dailymail.co.uk. You're like, I won't read the garden and gun piece, but let me (laughs) take famously trustworthy. Yeah, our sources today are really good, Um, (laughs) but they did an interview with him. Robert Harling was talking about his choice to write this, he obviously did it to honor his sister's memory and kind of keep her metaphorically alive, so to speak. He wrote the first draft in like 10 days or something Mm -hmm. like that. It came out very quickly. And he speaks about trying to kind of capture the language of how the women around him spoke. And he says... I don't care what people say. I wrote down what I heard. The women in my town talked in bumper stickers. They were funny, funny people. And I'm like watching this and I'm like, is this how people 
talk is this? Like, what? It, like, they're so quippy, and I love the quippy dialogue. And he was saying, like, no, this is authentically how the people in yeah. my town mm. spoke. And I also loved he had a quote in that oral history piece about how he was really nervous. He like would never admit who he based Weezer on because he was afraid that she'd be offended. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, but then his mom saw the play. It was like. Oh, it's obvious who that is. And he was like, oh, well, uh, I guess I'm not as sneaky as I thought. <laughs> Cats out of the bag. I just love that, like, Weezer is described as a town grouch. And, like, mm. it's just so funny because, like, yeah. every town has one. Everybody mm-hmm. knows one. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that there needed to be one in this movie and play. Yeah. And they're always beloved. Best character. Yeah. I also, I wish that. This movie had the courage to let Weezer and Clary be queer. I will die on this hill. I think that that is the ultimate what should happen. Mm. But I also do think it's powerful that they gave her a boyfriend that she hated who was shorter than her. I was like, wow, representation matters as a six foot tall woman who has Mm -hmm. dated many shorter men that she did not like. I felt seen in that (laughs) moment. But okay, back to back to Malin and Shelby. Yeah, their relationship. (laughs) I I think I I didn't respond to it as well the first time I saw this movie. I don't know. I I think it's more Mm. just like because their relationship is so entrenched in the idea of maternal sacrifice, right? Like on both ends where Malin Mm. is not just willing to physically do anything she can to support her daughter, but emotionally we see her really struggle with accepting her daughter's decisions because she knows that it's going to hurt her. But the more I watch this movie, the more I appreciate it. And maybe it's just like getting a little older myself where, you know, I don't think it is fair that, (laughs) that this is an expectation of women or of mothers in general, where we see, we see fathers throughout this movie, but they're mostly like, hindrances incidental yeah they're like blowing up trees Mm -hmm. they're like leaking (laughs) your pregnancy in public like they're not being super helpful which is you know authentic Mm. to a lot of parents is like the mom is carrying the physical and emotional burden of uh, her children's lives Mm -hmm. and i think when i take it into context of we have so many other characters uh who are women in this movie that are not entrenched their story is not entrenched in motherhood i mean we got weezer we've got Mm -hmm. truvy we've got you know there's plenty of other people to to look to for different kinds of stories and malin especially i i love shelby but i just i feel for malin so much she's put in this horrible position to have to kind of like grin and bear it through Mm -hmm knowing what is going to happen and Mm -hmm. it's i think it's just like so well performed and like what else can you do not have a relationship with your daughter when you know you're gonna lose her it's just oh it's so sad and then she has to raise shelby's damn kid for her i was like malin give this woman (laughs) a break oh my god I don't know. I think I really, I think part of it is getting older that allows me to connect with it even more. I mean, I always, I always have loved a mother-daughter story, but I think especially as I get older, I'm like, ooh, this is really, it's just real. Like my mom said to me once, it's just me and my sister, but she said to me once and it made so much sense. She was like, 
you're only as happy as a mother. She was like, you're only as happy as your least happy child. Mm. And that applies to happiness. That applies to health. That applies to anything. Like, right. some mothers really struggle with like being able to kind of like be detached for lack of a better term from their children, like not taking everything that's going on with their children on for themselves. And I think that's what we saw with Malin. But like I said, it makes me think about what my mom said, like Malin is struggling because her daughter's struggling. And I think there's even a point in the movie where she almost, there's this, this feeling of where she's like, don't you see, like there's no other way for me to be. Like, I can't enjoy my life if my daughter is dying. That's impossible for me to do. Like, I don't know what you all expect from me. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I felt differently too. I'm paraphrasing all this, obviously. But like, yeah. that was the <laughs> yeah. energy of like, I can't enjoy my life when my daughter's losing hers. I can't. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's real. Like, it's very, 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 very real. And you know, in the end, like you were saying, you know, she, you know, Shelby dies, she has to raise Jackson Jr. And I think that Malin looks at it as like, thank you, God. Like, I still have a piece of my daughter with me. This is not how I wanted it to go. But mm-hmm. like, I get this. Like, I think she almost saw it as like a gift. Like, oh my God, like, she truly is always with me and I get to have a piece of her with me for the rest of my life. And Mm -hmm. I just think that's really beautiful. And like the thought that like life does go on. No parent wants to lose their child, Mm -hmm. but with her knowing that she has to keep living for her daughter's child, it just shows that like she still has a purpose in her life. She still is able to keep going on loving and giving that love. She gave Shelby giving it to Jackson Jr. And she's going to be okay. There is a spirit of like, she's going to be okay, especially because she has all of these women around her who love and support her and are going to make sure she's lifted through it. And so I also love, you know, the messaging of like Mm -hmm. sisterhood and community. Mm -hmm. If you were to throw all these people together, they don't really fit, right? Like you would be like, (laughs) why does this person know that person? Why is this person hanging out with like, but when when you see what they all experienced together Mm -hmm. and how they held each other through it, then you're like, oh, wow. Like, the only way that Malin could have gotten through this was with community. The mm. only way Anel could have, like, healed was through community. And it truly is this small Louisiana town, but it's a community and it's a village mm. and it's powerful. And that's a big takeaway for me in the film, too. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, so beautifully put, Ashley. Like, how the community of women, even though we know that there are men in this community and that they're important to the community, but... <laughs> But this story yes. is so clearly focused on like Malin couldn't have made it through this experience without the women in her life. Because I feel like often in stories about mothers and daughters, like one of the two gets lost in the shuffle kind of. Yeah. But I like that this movie, yeah. and I'm sure it's partially because the author was writing and thinking about his own mother. Mm-hmm. We get moments to like really see Malin process and like st- struggle with it there's that scene at the party where her doofus husband is like shelby's pregnant without seeming to it seems like he cannot engage with the stakes of that situation and he's sort of bulldozing through it because he's like we have to be happy so we're going to be happy we don't really know what his journey is i don't really care what his journey is but we see malin like (laughs) she feels like shit in the other room and Mm -hmm. all of the other women you know 
they're like, why are you acting this way? And she's like, because I'm going to lose my daughter, like I, I think. And I like that they, yeah, you get those moments to see her really struggling with it. And through having those conversations with the other women, get the compassion that she needs to move forward. And also the reminder that like, as horrible as the situation is, Shelby needs you. Mm-hmm. And Shelby gets those moments too, where, you know, she is making a very informed decision. She knows what she's doing. She knows what the stakes are and it's what she wants. And I feel like it's very built into her character is that like, it's what she wants. She wants to have a biological child. And I appreciate that the alternatives are brought up repeatedly. And she's like, no, I don't want that. Cause I think sometimes it's like, there's yeah. like a biological child is the only way, but everyone's like, Shelby, you could adopt a baby. And she's like, no, it's not what I want. This is what I want to do. And, yeah. you know, I think that mm-hmm. that is uh, as, as, as much as you want to be like, Shelby, come on. You'd be a great mother to an adopted baby. Shelby, come on. I do appreciate, though, that her character is very clear on what she wants, is not being naive about what the stakes of that are, and is doing what is right for her and that you see that tension between Jackson and Malin that kind of results in that because I think Malin is wanting Jackson to push back on it more and Jackson's sort of like I have to accept Mm -hmm. what she wants Mm -hmm. yeah I also appreciate that I feel like generally speaking a lot of people's kind of immediate reaction to learning that someone is pregnant is like, oh my God, that's amazing. Congratulations, best news ever. And rarely do you see people being pragmatic about that Mm -hmm. type of news. And like, is this the best choice financially? Is this the best choice for your health? And I appreciate that Malin is like being very pragmatic about this. Like, do you know the risks? Because the first time you hear that, oh, it's not possible for Shelby to get pregnant. And so we think, oh, there's something about her physiology that yes. will make getting pregnant impossible. But then we learn that what was meant by that is like, if you do get pregnant, this could be potentially lethal to your health. Yeah. And later in a conversation when Malin or it's revealed to the other group of women that Shelby is pregnant. I can't remember if Malin tells them or not, but again, their gut reaction. Oh my God. Amazing. This is wonderful because we thought she couldn't get pregnant. And it's like, no, it's not that she couldn't get pregnant. It's that she shouldn't. There's Uh a big difference. And so they have this discussion about it and people realize like, Oh, this is, this is a huge risk. And I just appreciate like the pragmatism that goes into discussing that because I feel like that is often left Mm -hmm. out of those conversations and I just appreciated seeing it. I agree. I also wanted to just touch on really quickly how this movie because I feel like I I cannot think of many movies where there is a character who has diabetes. I don't Mm. know a lot about diabetes as a condition so I wanted to do a little research into it to see if because it is such a 
a common thing to see how people who have type 1 diabetes felt about how it's portrayed in the space of this movie. And again, with the knowledge that this mm-hmm. is a dramatized version of what happened to the writer's sister. Yes. But there does seem to be a mm-hmm. sort of split opinion in that community. I think some people find it to be over-dramatized and, you know, a way that it's like, you know, Type 1 diabetes is certainly not a death sentence in the way that I think this movie, you could read this movie presenting it. There is a writer mm-hmm. named Rachel Kerstetter who wrote in Healthline about watching this movie after getting diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. She says, I know Steel Magnolias brings up mm-hmm. a lot of different opinions and feelings, especially among us ladies. I mentioned to my best friend I was going to watch it and she recommended very strongly that I shouldn't, but of course I did. <laughs> She said, the reality is that Steel Magnolias portrays a time when diabetes management was much different from today, Mm -hmm. a time before continuous glucose monitors existed and even insulin pumps were really mainstream, before the A1C test was established as a gold standard for diabetes management and prior to factor acting insulins and analogs being introduced. Today's reality is thankfully different, even though economic and cultural gaps certainly exist that prevent people from getting ideal treatment. But basically she felt that it was somewhat dramatized because Shelby's character is so specific. I think there's a world, and we talk about this with a lot of conditions we've seen portrayed on screen, mm-hmm. you know, presenting a condition and presenting it in a pretty prescriptive way that like, if you didn't know anything about type one diabetes, this movie would probably scare you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I just thought it was interesting that there was a fair amount of diversity of opinion. Although everyone seems to, uh, that I, I mean, the few pieces that I read, there was a general agreement that the scene where uh, Shelby's character has a hypoglycemic attack and her mother gives her juice juice. um, Mm -hmm. that that was pretty authentic and well done and other parts were a little more divisive but i really i mean i thought that was a wonderful scene from the mother-daughter perspective too of just like i feel like it's really it's like this dynamic that i'm like oh that's been me and my mom at some point where like malin is like you know being kind of bullish and is kind of like, come on, like drink the fucking juice, dude. And, mm-hmm. you know, Shelby's being combative. Mm-hmm. It just like the stakes of the scene are very high, but there's still this just like vaguely combative mother daughter dynamic existing within that high stakes scene that I thought was really good. Yeah. I think that's one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. Yeah. I think when people think of Still Magnolia, you think of the orange juice and the punch. Yeah. Like those are two really like those are two movie. Yes. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Liquid <laughs> but yeah, like those are like I would say like if you're talking about Steel Magnolia, somebody it's bound to be like, "Oh yeah, the orange juice scene. That was crazy." Like mm-hmm. that's what people are going to say. Yeah. For sure. It seems like Shelby is like upset she feels that her mom is trying to like micromanage her and it's like, "Well, she's trying to save your life, right?" Yeah. Now, right? But but yeah. also, like, yeah, you don't want your mom interfering in all of your business all the time. It is just like a very authentic, nuanced mother-daughter relationship that I think feels very familiar for a lot of people. And it's yeah. obviously caring and loving, but it's not without its faults. And it's not – there's a scene where 
Shelby tells her mom that she's pregnant and Malin has this reaction of like, I'm not happy for, I'm not really going to congratulate you because I don't think this is a responsible choice. And all Shelby wants is her mom's support. And she says something like, you're just pissed off because you can't control me anymore. Or like you don't. And I remember having a similar situation with my mom Mm -hmm. where you know I was like a full adult my mom was still trying to micromanage a lot of things in my life and I was like you can't do this anymore I am my own person I am very capable of making my own decisions I have my own autonomy you don't get to call the shots anymore and you haven't been able to for a while mom but it's just such a familiar thing yeah for so many people well, and that i love that line from shelby where she's like don't talk about me like i'm not here like i think and mm-hmm. just that she's struggling but it's like that is such a dehumanizing like feeling controlled where melinda is and melinda is talking about her like shelby isn't sitting in front of her and that doesn't mean that melinda is bad or wrong she's just trying to manage the moment but of course that would be hurtful i i think that this movie like mm-hmm. it it rewards a rewatches so much because the first time i watched this movie i was confused because the exact nature of shelby's condition is like you don't find out for a while like what exactly is going mm-hmm. on and the first time yeah. you're seeing it you're like why is this marriage like what is going on with this marriage maybe happening maybe not happening mm-hmm it felt like an interesting experience where it's just like, you never know what someone's going through. You never know what's going on in someone's life and witnessing a relationship dynamic isn't understanding it because with both Shelby and Jackson and Shelby and Malin, it's not immediately clear what's going on. I remember the first time I was watching it, I was like, why is Shelby being such a brat? Uh, Or like in different moments, I'm like, why is Jackson being so pushy? Or like, which you you could still ask. Or like, why Why is is Malin being so mean to her? Like, what is... And being like, you should quit your job because you shouldn't be on your feet all day. I was like, whoa, what decade (laughs) are we in? But within the context, it's like, oh, okay, even if you don't agree with every dynamic, the context of it makes sense. And I don't know. I don't feel like there's a lot of movies like that. that When you watch it back, you're like, oh, you know exactly where everyone's coming from, whether they are being overly controlling or like, you know, bringing too much of themselves to the table or not. Like, it's just, it's really cool. And I, you know, every single time you're just like, Shelby, Come on, Shelby, listen to your mother. Mm, mother knows best. But she's gotta she's gotta do it her way. And um mm-hmm. and I and I love, yeah, that like for Malin, there is as happy an ending as is available to her where she's still, like you're saying, Ashley, still has a piece of her daughter and has this community to yes. raise her daughter in. And then there's a baby Shelby on the way <laughs> with an L. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, yes. Can we talk about Anel a little bit? Yeah. Yes. I love Anel. I just think she's the I best. I don't. <laughs> Sorry about it. I mean, I've sort of said exactly why already, but there's a few. Her, She's not like a super big character, but there's a few story beats of hers that I really appreciated that is just, again, like stuff you don't see very often. She is very insecure about where she's at in her life she's insecure about Mm -hmm. her own poverty the scene at the wedding where she is hungry but doesn't have money for Mm -hmm. food and then 
is told like, no, it's a wedding. The food is free. And she's like, oh shit. Like she was hungry and was like embarrassed (laughs) to tell anybody. And embarrassed that like she has this torrid past, quote unquote. And she was very kind of withholding about that information because she wasn't sure how she would be perceived. And oh, will anyone hire a woman who may or may not be married? Because she like... She's not sure of the legitimacy of her marriage, if it's actually legal or not. Her husband is like a criminal on the run. Took her Things car. Things of course, like, yeah, you would be probably like self-conscious of. And yeah, it's and everyone's just like, it's okay. We'll take care of you. And you're like. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I just, I really like that. And it's like her arc is pretty simple from there. Again, it's like pretty prescriptive and unimaginative that like her happy ending is like finding a guy who isn't evil and having a baby. I don't think we're Mm -hmm. necessarily told exactly what Anel wants out of life. So maybe that is what she wanted. I'm not totally clear. In my dream scenario, she and Truvi opened a successful chain of salons across the globe. But I mean, I, I do like that she you know, it's through her friendship with these women and especially through her mentorship with Truvy that she doesn't just like improve her life materially, but also seems to like rid herself of a lot of the shame and embarrassment that we see her experiencing when Truvy first gives her a shot. So I... Mm-hmm. Via these relationships with all these women. We do have the classic trope though of like, Wow, Daryl Hannah, famously hot woman. If you took your glasses off, you'd be so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, sure, great, yeah. I also love all the names. I think they're just mm-hmm. great. So good. Character names. Weezer, Anel. Which Trina. Weezer is spelled with a O, by the way. It's everybody. not like because the band. Her <laughs> name, <laughs> her no. name is, I think, Louisa or Louisa, Louise, uh-huh. something like that. And so they, her nickname is is Weezer, which I think is Iconic. brilliant. Yeah. Like, how do you even come up with that? Is that a thing that people are doing in Louisiana? Like, I would have literally no. never thought of that. Right. And I'm the right. queen of nicknames. I've never Weezer been. is, I mean, I'm like, and when did that, can you imagine calling a child like Weezer? Get over here. Yeah, get your ass over here, Weezer. Um, uh, <laughs> the thing I don't like about Anel's character is when she gets like very holier than yes. thou religious. It gets a little weird. Yeah. But I do like that she seems to come around a little bit on the end where someone tells her to lighten up and then she makes like a joke kind of at her own expense and, and then she gets pushed cut back to too, a few months there's like one point where anel talks out of turn in like i think a hyper religious yeah. way and melin's like yeah no you're not gonna get me to be happy my daughter died <laughs> get the fuck out of my face yeah. and you're like yeah she deserved that yeah she deserved that big time mm-hmm. yeah and so i do like that her arc is like her lightening up and we even see her tell her husband that he has to lighten up so it's like okay she's starting to get it right and she's i think also or maybe the same age as shelby but i think she's maybe supposed to be the youngest character too like she's pretty young in the movie although julia roberts was 22 in this movie and she's already like fucking oh i thought she was only 19 oh maybe it was shot even earlier i don't know she might have been 19 and missed a pizza doesn't matter oh wow and yeah, I think the companion character to Anel is Truvi. I love Truvi. I also, I don't like that she's burdened with this like 
needing to reconcile with her shitty husband storyline. I would have rather that real estate be used for kind of anything else. What I love about Truvy is that she's Dolly Parton. Uh, That's great. (laughs) I also love that she is like a business owner. She prioritizes Mm -hmm. giving like young women in her community opportunities. She's a gossip. She's a good friend. She's very empathetic. And like the stuff with her and her husband which by the end seems to be like way more important to the story than we were originally led to believe. I just, I feel pretty ambivalent towards it. I'm just like, who? yeah, like you're not good enough for her. You're not going to convince me you are. Well, that's, that's one of my criticisms about yeah. this movie, but I'm also trying not to be too critical of it because it is, you know, it's a very female driven story that centers this group of women and, their lives and their relationships and we get to see what's important to them and they're you know pursuing the things that are important to them the things that are important to them are often what you'd associate with very like traditional womanhood or traditional femininity type of things and again i don't want to be too critical of that because many people men some feminists will be like oh things that are so hyper feminine or so traditionally rooted in like what's expected of womanhood or whatever. I think it's overly criticized. Yeah. In a way that is, that makes those ambitions seem invalid, which obviously the point of feminism is letting everyone do what the fuck they want and safety. Just do whatever the fuck they want. And this is a movie made in the eighties that seems to very much reflect the values of like Southern white women. in 1000%. It's very (laughs) eighties. It's like very eighties, Louisiana. Like, yeah, yeah. they're in a parish, like, (sighs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and in that way it doesn't like those things don't interest me personally. So that's one of the reasons I have a hard time connecting with this movie. But it, there's something to be said for a movie that centers women and allows women to talk about what's important to them, even if it doesn't reflect my exact experience. Yeah, it definitely doesn't reflect my experience. Yeah. <laughs> but I like couldn't be any further. But again, I think what helps me is that I am a daughter of a mother, so mm-hmm. I can connect to that. And community and sisterhood has too saved my life in a lot of ways. And so Uh again, that's something that I have a different perspective of it at the older I get. And I think it's the portrayal of that in this movie is actually really beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And can I also add, I think something else I really like about the movie is that it highlights how in your tribe or in your community, there's a lot of diversity. And I don't mean uh, ethnic diversity. diversity. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Do they not know a single black or brown person? Yikes. 1,000%. They were avoiding the black people in the town. It's fine. I know it. We don't even have to. We're in Louisiana. (laughs) They were on the other side of town. They never saw them, never interacted with black people probably. But there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of personality mm. diversity. Right. And I think that, you know, when you look at your friend circles or your community, it's the same for you. Like, you have to have different characters in your story because you never know which one you're going to need to call on. And if everybody's the same, mm-hmm. then that's not really helpful or productive. So I love that they're all such distinct mm-hmm. characters, which, again, 
It happens in movies, but I think they're very distinct because it was a play. Yeah. Like, to your point, like, you know, there's a wedding, there's a funeral, there's a hospital. Like, but anyway, I do like the diversity in personality in the movie. For sure. Because even though we get, you know, with Anel and Truvy's subplots, they're pretty centered around the men in their lives and those different dynamics. Then you've got Clary and Weezer and their subplots are more focused on the friendship among themselves Mm -hmm. and their like kind of love hate relationship where they're always getting on each other's cases, but it's out of a place of love. And again, I love the Clary trying to like broaden their cultural horizons and Weezer being like, I don't like to watch movies because they only have naked people in them and I hate (laughs) books and I hate. I love Clary and Weezer. I mean, like again, this movie is so glaringly excessively white in Louisiana Mm -hmm. and we'll get to in a second how there was a remake of this movie with an all black cast in 2012 that I believe aired on Lifetime. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll get there in a second, but Clary and Weezer, I don't want to know how they vote. However, (laughs) I do like, I just love a couple of broads saying fucking whatever. It is so fun to watch. They both seem like, pretty wealthy uh, as well where it's like there's that great mm-hmm. line from Weezer where it's like people are only nice to me because I have more money than God and I was like whoa okay or uh-huh. like Clary doing the like you know whatever girl bossing the fuck she out buys where, yeah, she buys a radio station so she could like be a sports commentator question mark like they're on these <laughs> side quests we get those moments together and we also see I think it's like with Clary that Weezer is most comfortable showing her gentler side even if clary is only going to give her shit for it but i always think of the scene of the two of them in the grocery store where weezer said you know sort of something casual and offhand about death in front of shelby not realizing Mm. what shelby was going through and then saying to clary when they were alone like i shouldn't have said that that was wrong I i had no idea and it's just nice to see like they are the more cartoony characters of the cast, which I think older women are often written to be more cartoonish, but it doesn't bug me because we have the context for who they are and mm-hmm. we see other sides of them. They're not just acting out these like stereotype older women characters. They get moments to be together. I don't even think they're written cartoonishly. I think they're just eccentric. I mean, Weezer getting dragged around by a horse of a dog for the better part. Of <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which I love. But also, I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like some people just be doing that. Yeah, it, it all tracked for me. It didn't, no one felt too yeah. big or too small mm-hmm. to me, actually. It all worked. And I think the small town of it all helps mm-hmm. that. I think that if this like took place in Los Angeles, that weird. would like yeah. it wouldn't work in the same way. You know what I mean? Or like Seattle or something. I don't know. It, but, but there is something that made it really believable um, for me, and and it didn't it didn't bump yeah. me. And I tend to get bumped very easily when <laughs> mm-hmm. watching things. I'm always bumped. By Highly something. bumpable. Yeah, no, I think they all feel like that, and I think that like the story really takes time for every character at some point to have a moment that we see either like a more vulnerable part of them or have more information about them to contextualize why they're acting the way they are. And I I just, I mean, I could have watched different arrangements of these six characters 
for another hour. Like I really yeah. love it. Ditto. I wanted to touch really quickly on, yes, there was a remake of this movie in 2012. Yes. It was directed by Kenny Leon, who uh, was most noted before then for directing a Broadway production of A Raisin in the Sun, a black director and a black leading cast. We had Queen Latifah, Jill Scott, Alfred Woodard, Adepero Oduye, Felicia Rashad, and Condola Rashad. It was, I think the, the movie got kind of mixed reviews when it came out and mm-hmm. it was only broadcast on television in spite of, I mean, that's like an unbelievable cast, mm-hmm. truly. And I watched it two years ago when we first covered it. I haven't rewatched it. Same. It is the same movie. Right. Made with, I think, like a far lesser budget, which seems to be very pointed. Yeah. Right. And we've had similar discussions about like all female reboots Mm -hmm. of like originally male casted Mm -hmm. movies. So we've seen kind of an uptick, especially I feel like 2018 or so was like the peak of, I guess the all black reboot for lack of a better term where you got movies like death at a funeral what women want oh my instead God. of what men want. I blocked that out. You got uh, little instead of big. So in a lot of these cases, they were not only like black reboots, but all female reboots. Mm-hmm. So the point being like with these reboots, they take an existing marketable property with either a predominantly white cast or male cast mm-hmm. or both and then reboot it with like, oh, now it's all women or now it's black people or both. Rather than giving women and black people a chance to just tell their own original stories. Yes. And this was in 2012. So I feel like it's even a little bit ahead of that trend. Yes. Yeah. I mean, my feeling on it, it's it's kind of twofold where the reboot culture, I mean, I think at this point, it's played out to the point where it's no longer even financially successful. But I think it just like sets marginalized creatives and performers up for failure by like not giving anyone the opportunity to tell an original story. It's like, no, actually this, like we know that this story works. So maybe people will like, you know, it's just, it feels condescending and shitty and to be given such a smaller budget and platform than the original steel Magnolias on top of that feels insult to injury, even though the cast is fantastic. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the cast is stacked. Kenny Leon is a very well-known director, especially in the theater world. Mm. You know, I think for me, I, as a Black woman, as a Black artist, I always, like, feel bad, basically. Like, when I don't connect with the Black version of something, it, Mm. it almost feels like, I have to, or I should. I don't know if that's making sense. Hopefully it does. But there's this like guilt associated with it. Like if I don't like love it. And I think for me, the biggest issue, I thought the cast was fantastic. But I think the biggest issue for me when we do this, when we do the black version of something or the, you know, Latinx version of something or whatever, Mm -hmm. the the Asian Mm -hmm. version of something is that oftentimes it's trying to be too much like the original version that's already too white. So it's Mm -hmm. almost like it has to be more different. 
and it wasn't different enough for me to resonate with it, if that makes sense. Like, right. It was like you, I think you said like it was basically the exact same thing. It couldn't be the exact same thing because now we're dealing with black women. We don't live the same experience and even kind of the same way. So I needed more of a differentiation outside of just we're in a black hair salon doing black hair. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not Mm -hmm. enough, you know? And um, another like, this is like a small note, but kind of a big note to me. Is that like, I think Felicia Rashad and Condola Rashad should have played the yeah. same daughter. Yeah. <laughs> they should have been Malin and Shelby. That would have, to me, I don't know why Queen Latifah was Malin. I'm very <laughs> confused by it. Love QL, but like, I just needed. <laughs> and so it makes me like think like, were Felicia and Condola like, we by no means want to play mother and daughter? Like, I'm I just like, was why? Why didn't she do it with her actual mother? I just don't understand. That's her actual mother. I just think that Mm would have been... Like, duh. (laughs) It would have been beautiful, I think. And because for me, it was Queen Latifah and Condola that I kind of didn't really believe. I just was Mm kind of like, it's not your mom, though. Because (laughs) Because your your mom's mom's sitting right there in the scene. It was confusing. It was not confusing. It was distracting. Yeah. I just was watching the whole time like, but your (laughs) actual mom is sitting there and you're both fantastic actors. Why couldn't... Why didn't we do that? But anyway, that's mm-hmm. kind of like my review of that. But And I remember when this came out, I remember auditioning for Shelby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this. I moved mm-hmm. to LA in 2010. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 24 years old at that time. Like, this was the time Ooh. that yeah. they were calling all the Black girls. It was like a big deal. And again, you all know my history mm-hmm. and my connection to the movie. So I was like, this is great. Yeah. Condola obviously got the part, and she's lovely and fantastic. But I remember this time, and I remember being, you know, anticipating and watching it with all my girlfriends and, and feeling exactly what I just told you. Like, why aren't I fully connecting with this? Mm-hmm. It's my truth. <laughs> yeah, I am very frustrated by that pattern. I am hopeful that it seems like at least it's not happening with the frequency that it was this time five or six years ago, but it's still, yeah, I don't think so. uh, It's so clear even in like, I mean, part of the reason that steel Magnolias works is because it is so specific in the story that it's telling. And so it's like every community should have the opportunity to tell a story with that level of specificity instead of treating it as a one size fits all kind of story. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just saw a mother daughter movie last night in the theater. Saw X. <laughs> saw X. Um, no, I did it. Well, I did see Saw X, but I did a double feature of Saw X and the Persian version, which oh. um, is like very culturally specific mother daughter story mm-hmm. in which like motherhood plays a very large role in both of their narratives. And it's just like a very interesting examination of a mother-daughter relationship Mm. would recommend Mm -hmm. people see it my favorite mother-daughter movie is oh my gosh you guys want to guess what my favorite (gasps) mother-daughter movie is oh my god can we have a hint Hmm. one of the actors in still magnolias is in it Ooh. okay Uh, um is it it's one of my favorite movies of all time actually but it's a mother-daughter movie Oh my gosh. Is it Dolly Blanking? Parton? Is Dolly Parton in another mother daughter movie? I don't It's not Dolly. Think I'll tell so. you it's not Dolly. Not Dolly. Is Maybe it Julia it's Roberts? Sad. I can't tell you who it is, but she's oh in it. Do you want me to just tell you what the movie is? Yeah, just tell yes. us. Terms of Endearment. Oh Shirley MacLaine. Oh, Shirley oh, Shirley MacLaine is 
Picote. Oh my gosh. Terms it's one of, of my I haven't favorite seen Terms movies. of Endearment in forever. It's beautiful. I've just rewatched The Apartment. I just, oh. mm. She's just S tier. I was like, what's my favorite mother daughter movie? I need to think about it. I'm like, Freaky mm. Friday, 2003. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's a great one. my favorite one. But, oh, God, we should do, we haven't done Terms of Endearment. I was going to say, if you guys do that one, please, I want to come back and talk Ooh, about absolutely. that one. You'll be coming back. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Absolutely. A couple last things I want to talk about, and these are just sort of stray thoughts. Actually, they're kind of about... <laughs> The men in the movie, wow, brave of me wow. to bring up the men in the movie. <laughs> but as we've already mentioned, they're kind of not entirely incidental to the plot, but they're certainly not the main characters by any stretch of the imagination. And yeah. the way that they are often talked about or just presented on screen is like, they're a nuisance. <laughs> they're annoying. Yeah. A drum is like just bullying Weezer the whole time in like a kind of playful way, but also sometimes a scary way. I'm like, I don't even know if you see Malin and him speak. I like, don't <laughs> think so. But he does say, he's like, I make it a point never to deal with my wife. And it's like, okay, yeah. feminist icon drum. Yes. Yikes. I do appreciate. So Shelby has two brothers who have a couple lines here and there, but they're kind of barely characters, which I think is especially interesting because the writer who wrote this movie about his sister one of them. is yeah. presumably one of those brothers. And he didn't even write a character for himself, which I think the way that a lot of male egos are would not allow for yeah. like that to happen in most cases. So I was like pleasantly surprised. Feminist icon, Robert Harlan. <laughs> yes. yes. And then, yeah, we get a few other men. We've like, we meet Jackson a few times. And although the way he's described, Shelby's like, I thought he was a pest at first, but then he kind of grew on me and now I love him. And it's like, okay, well, tale as old as time. We talked a little bit about Spud, Truvy's husband. I think Spud gets the best deal out of anyone. And I don't understand why at the end they're like, it's like, is it just because it's Sam Shepard where they're like, Spud, you know, he was distant and rude for the majority of the movie, but Shelby dying, it almost feels like a walk to remember sort of thing where it's like, it wasn't until this young woman died in an untimely way that I as a man learned I should be a little nicer. And you're like, mm. whatever. What? What is yeah. that trope? It's so weird. I don't know. It's I... a very tiny part of this movie, but I was just like, Great. It's Trophy, though. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, especially because like Trophy deserves the absolute best, and she has to accept this this scraps of a man. Yeah, she also has a scary son. People are like, (laughs) he turned out okay. He's just a little scary. Yeah. Honestly, I'm like, that'll be me one day. Uh, Mm -hmm. I wanted to also just quickly shout out Robert Harley. Also wrote the first Wives Club. Just something oh to... he also wrote soap dish i want to say or am i he making did. that up okay i also i hate to add this in there please but um please. he's presbyterian and he's gay which i'm presbyterian as well mm. but he also owns a plantation i no. saw that yes in louisiana which uh says was built in 1830 Jesus. Who held as many as 104 enslaved people on the property. Okay, well. Um, yeah, so he yeah. Um, he owns a plantation. So I got to say it's 
it's knocking it down on my list a little bit. So I kind of fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Robert. As someone whose bread and butter is writing uh, stories of wealthy white women. Uh, Not the mm, plantation, yeah. Robert. Like, I guess. Jesus what are you doing? Christ. So it took a turn. It took a turn for me, everybody. I, it's taken a turn. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. Take a wrecking ball to it, Robert, for fuck's sake. Yes. Great movie, though, Robert. Ground. But you writing it in the living room in of the plantation the, oh is God. stressing me out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, for yeah. fuck's sake. Well, that's the end of the episode. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the other thing I want to say about like the way men are characterized in this movie uh, that kind of brings it back to the title of the movie. Malin is talking about the moment that they take Shelby off of life support and sh- her being in the hospital room as Shelby passes away. She's describing how Drum left. He couldn't take mm-hmm. it. Jackson left. I find it amusing. Men are supposed to be made out of steel or something. And then, meanwhile, like, all these men who are supposed to be, you know, these very hold it together, oh, nothing affects me because I'm a big, strong man kind of thing. They couldn't, like, handle it emotionally, which, I mean, fair. Like, it is a very upsetting thing and devastating thing to deal with. But I guess just kind of, like, the comment on... We as women, our strength is undervalued because it's emotional strength, whereas like societally we favor like the perceived physical strength of Mm. men, even though, (laughs) I don't know, I don't want to be making sweeping generalizations here, but I just like that she's like, wait a minute, men are supposed to be the strong ones made of steel, but actually we are the steel magnolias. So... I don't yeah. know what my point is, but it's something. <laughs> is there any other stuff we wanted to touch on? <sighs> this movie is very dense. I feel like we've only kind of scratched the surface, but I could keep going. I feel like yeah. we covered a lot about it. I feel good. I've done a great job here today. I'm reeling <laughs> from this Robert Harling situation. <laughs> yeah, I. it really puts a damper on the whole damn It took a turn, not gonna lie. But you know, I mean, also what we have to be honest about is like, I hate to say it, but like, of course he probably owns a plantation. Like it's, he's from Louisiana. Like it's not, it's not that surprising, (laughs) which is the sad part really. But like, but reading it is like, oh, wow. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. You really don't Someone, Yeah, someone who has like a formative influence on you as a kid owns a plantation it's just fucking ridiculous yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you know what not to like turn this into that but like it's just a part of being black in america like at any turn you find out that something you've loved or something you've known or something you've been a part of that it's connected to slavery in some way Mm -hmm. or something that like a construct that was meant to harm my people and like it's part of the trauma you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but it's also like i said part of the protection is like having the awareness of like i'm not really shocked it it all tracks like it 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 tracks but yes someone that owns a plantation can also write a beautiful movie too that black people then made a a remake of that's the other i'm like Mm -hmm. how do you how how did you (laughs) Fucking sleep at night. Like, did they not right. know that? I didn't know that until right now, so maybe they didn't either. I don't know, but like, we then made a whole remake of a man's movie who owns a plantation. 
it's, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of thoughts. <laughs> yeah. In the movie, you do see people of color every so often, but they're always people working at the yeah, wedding. like a few wedding guests. They're, it's maybe a nurse. I think there's a black woman who's a nurse who speaks to Shelby for like two lines of dialogue. But mm-hmm. I think those are the only lines of dialogue spoken by a person of color in the entire movie. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, should we move on to the Bechtel test and whether or not this movie we don't need to Yes, it does. It. For almost the entire movie. It Yeah. It does. They do, uh, once again, and I'm trying not to be too critical of this, but they are almost constantly talking about like very traditionally feminine things, which again is neither inherently positive or negative. Do I wish we saw them talk about something other than weddings, babies, relationships sure. with men, which obviously that part doesn't pass the Bechdel test, but you know, they're talking I about mean, the color. But it's pink. also a lot of health. Like there's a lot of talk about health. health. There's a lot of talk about like. They talk about Anne Boleyn having six fingers on one hand and that is the best pass of the movie yeah i mean they are talking about a lot of traditionally (laughs) feminine things but i think that that is inherent to this community and you're getting a big range of opinions on these issues too because if it would Mm -hmm. be just more like we could all agree that wedding and baby is awesome like if everyone was of the same mind i would maybe be more bothered by it but because of like this community Mm -hmm. and the fact that each character has a pretty significantly different opinion on these issues, I think it's interesting. Mm. True. They do, they gossip about other women in one case are fat shaming another woman, which Dolly was wrong for that. That woman was having the time of her life and she looked great. So bye. Whatever. Yeah. Yes. The movie does not really pass the reverse spectral test, meaning like men barely talk to each other. We see a few interactions between Shelby's dad and her brothers. But other than that, it is almost exclusively women talking to each other. Kind of awesome. Sometimes they're talking about men. Although I do think that when Weezer, in response to something Anel says, Weezer says, men are the most horrible creatures. They will ruin your life. You mark my words. Yeah. I think that mm-hmm. still does pass the Bechdel test. Yes, the spirit of the line passes the Bechdel test. Yeah. Oh, and then really quickly, they talk about I think it's Clary's nephew coming out as gay mm-hmm. and they're all kind of like, what is, what is that? <laughs> what are, what are and gay like, wow, people? 1989, huh? Mm-hmm. And they have, they all have track lighting in their homes and they're all named, what is it? Like Mark, Steve or something mm-hmm. else. Anyway, it was a less homophobic view of queerness than i thought yeah it was gonna happen it didn't feel especially because it was written by a gay writer like i was just yeah, like yeah yeah is this how this writer heard people talking about him when he was growing i don't know i sort of gave that a pass mm-hmm. just because the writer is from this area and is queer yeah. i also was like i don't really know what they're talking about here <laughs> if i'm being honest i don't know what track lighting is and mm-hmm. so i have no opinion on that exchange right. but what about the most important metric in the entire world <laughs> Our nipple scale, where we rate the movie on a scale of zero to five nipples based on examining it through an intersectional feminist lens. I think I'll go ahead and give this a little split down the middle, two and a half nipples. I do appreciate that it is a story that centers women dealing with everyday life and also more kind of significant life moments 
grief and tragedy, but also like, you know, celebrations of life and having babies and, you know, getting married and again, very much reflecting the values of the time and the values of, yeah, like Southern white women in the 80s. But it's a story that centers women and female friendships and female relationships and mother-daughter relationships and all these things that most movies ignore. And it kind of sidelines men the way that most movies do not, especially movies written by men. So I thought it was a really interesting movie in that regard. And it is, I think, a very nice way to honor that real-life person memory susan shout out susan and the movie is so so terribly white and although there is a little diversity among the personalities of the women the generations and ages the class of the women um, we see different classes but it is they really just don't want to be friends with any non-white people yeah and that's pretty fucked up I guess two and a half, maybe three nipples. Um, And uh, I'll give one to the armadillo cake. I'll give one to Weezer and I'll give one to Clary. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go three. I would have gone three and a half, but in spite of things I just learned about Robert Harling, I cannot. So I'll I'll go three. I I think that there is, yeah, just to echo what you, you said, Caitlin, there is a clear lack of diversity in terms of the races of these women it feels pointed and i don't know i'm going to be thinking about the conversation we had about the reboot for for a while i think that there is an interesting kind of second act to the way that it seems like it was attempted to course correct when the reality is that there should have been a widely funded you know ensemble movie about black women it didn't need to be the same story over again. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, I think that for what this movie is, there are a lot of unique aspects to it. I, I like the mother daughter relationship and the, just this like impossible emotionally driven situation. And I like that they're surrounded by women that are so different from them who they very much need to make it through. I think that that is like the like core beautiful thing about this movie and that it has the good sense to keep the men in their life very much on the sidelines, which you never, ever, ever get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the gripes I have with the presence men do have never last more than 30 seconds. So I can live with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give this movie three nipples. I'm going to give one to Weezer uh, I'm also going to give one to the armadillo cake and I'm going to give the final one to the woman dancing at the wedding. She did nothing wrong. Mm-mm. Yeah. Ashley, what do you think? Yeah. I think I'm going to go with three, two. I'm going to give it three nipples. Mm-hmm. I, you know, just everything you all said. I mean, I think kind of to go back to what you said about like the lack of diversity. I think the truth is like, I'm okay with it only because it wouldn't have made sense anyway. Like if they had a random black friend, I wouldn't have believed it. It would have felt like they threw a random yeah. black woman in there. So, I mean, like I'm I'm okay with that. It was authentic to like these women living in this small parish in Louisiana. Like it made sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's still a movie I love, but now a movie that has a problematic writer. Um, yeah. So <laughs> there's that. And then I would give a nipple to Malin. I'm going to give one to Shelby. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give one to the black nurse. She deserves a nipple. Mm -hmm. She does. She really does. does. I think she was given a name, too. I think uh, Shelby says her name 
I can't think of it right now. And I like that we got to see Shelby at work too. I feel like you never get to see women at work. Yeah. So quick shout out to that as well. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us and talking thank about this. And please come back for terms of endearment. I mean, please. Yes. yes. I can't wait. I can't wait to get the email that I'm, we're going to do. Our that resident one. Shirley <laughs> McLean expert. Yeah. I love her. <laughs> She's the greatest. So much. Yeah. Where can we find you? Where can we find your work? Where can we find you online? Yeah. You can find me at Ashley Blaine on Instagram. You can also uh, follow my podcast at Trials to Triumphs Pod, which also on Instagram and Facebook. And then you can listen to my podcast each and every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Trials to Triumphs. Listen to it and get inspired. Awesome. Uh, and you can find us as always on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Cast. Keep your eyes peeled. We've got some live shows being announced in the next couple of weeks Ooh, if you live in California yeah. or Texas, interestingly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can get our merch at tpublic.com slash Cast. And also our Patreon, aka Matreon, where you get two bonus episodes every month. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? time frame my brain just broke all of a sudden okay it's working We're two episodes great. every month yes <laughs> including all of the back catalog of bonus episodes which is around 150 episodes can you believe wow. it we've had the stamp patreon going since 2017 there's tons oh, of content there my goodness and yes i am calling it content because i'm, I'm tired it's sort of like art. we are content High creators <gasps> oh okay you've gone too far you've gone too far <laughs> we're we're just people mm-hmm. okay and with that let's uh all get on the back of some guy's motorcycle and go meet baby shelby hope you got your bunny suit on yep <laughs> got it right here okay bye bye the bechtel cast is a production of iHeartMedia, hosted by caitlin durante and jamie loftus produced by sophie lichterman edited by mo laborde our theme song was composed by Mike Kaplan with vocals by Catherine Voskresensky. Our logo and merch is designed by Jamie Loftus. And a special thanks to Aristotle Acevedo. For more information about the podcast, please visit linktree slash Bechtelcast. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, 
iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.